0: Uh, you know, I think we all we have to recognize, of course, where other people are coming from, which is, first of all, when you first start talking about this, it takes a while before they realize that we're serious and and that they should listen. It took your breath for a
1: minute. Yeah, I was like, and then I was like, oh my God,
0: this is all really happening. And before I knew it, it was over. It was
1: I'm Letitia Ferrer. And I'm Chris Alexander.
2: And this is Totality Talks, the Solar Eclipse Podcast. It just took
1: my breath away, the whole thing. It's really cool that you can see the corona and you see
2: the sun kind of spewing out from behind the moon. It, it literally took
0: our breath away. A lot of people said overrated, but that was like not one not of not the coolest rated. things I've ever seen. Not overrated. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Totality Talks. We are sorry to report that we have temporarily lost our sponsor, American Paperware, because they are out of stock. So get your Eclipse glasses now. Supplies are drying up everywhere. With that said, today you're in for a treat. We have science writer, author, and Eclipse evangelist, David Barron. His book, American Eclipse, tells multiple stories that surrounded the great North American Total Solar Eclipse of 1878. So impactful that it's being made into a musical. (laughs) Today, we chat with David and cover a wide range of topics surrounding the modern concept of eclipse chasing. All right, David Barron, welcome.
0: Hello, Chris. Hello, Letitia. Nice to see you both. It's nice, nice to see, see you both you again. Yeah.
1: Well, how you been? You have been hanging out in Boulder. I take it.
0: Uh, yeah. As as we we're talking, we've just had the Arctic blast come through, so it's been very chilly here. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to spring for many reasons, <clears throat> but of course, April 8th is the day I'm very much looking forward to. Oh yes.
2: So I'm gonna I want to go ahead and ask the question. I've got it further down the list, but where are you planning for for April 8th?
0: On April 8th, I will be in your lovely state, Letitia. Well, both of your states, in Texas, of course. Um, And I'm going to be in Waco, which I originally chose because I've got 14 family members coming down. And I wanted some place that was well into the path of totality, um, had – was – Toward, hopefully, the southern part of the state, so south of Dallas, hopefully the, the weather odds are a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And easy logistically, we we can all get into and out of and hopefully find lodging, which we did. And uh, I'm very pleased that we chose Waco and just uh, hoping that we have clear skies. Me too. Excellent.
2: I'll be out of Hillsborough, just north of that.
0: Well, I hope we'll have a chance mm-hmm. to say hello. I hope so, too tell us a little bit about uh, where
1: you're from and your background and your uh, professional career and how you
0: well, so I was uh, uh, I'm an East coaster uh, by birth. I was born in Philadelphia, grew up in Boston, but I live in Colorado now. I've been here for uh, geez, 25 years. Um, I absolutely love the American West. Um, I, Uh, studied the sciences in college, physics and geology, but decided instead of becoming a scientist to become a science journalist. And I worked for many years in public radio. I I was a science correspondent for NPR. I was a science editor for the public radio program, The World. Um, Over time, I I wrote a book back in the early uh, 2000s. And uh, along the way, I got hooked on eclipses. And uh, that's what led to my second book, which came out in 2017, called American Eclipse, which I'm sure we will talk about, and um, is actually being reissued uh, February 13th of 2024. Uh, But I became an eclipse chaser back in the 90s, and I've continued ever since.
1: Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your first total solar eclipse.
0: Well, actually, I'll go back a little farther than that. Uh-huh. Maybe I'll even go back farther than I was intending. Uh, my, so my first solar eclipse was in 1970. So, wow. as I said, I was born in Philadelphia and in March of 1970, there was a total eclipse that was, uh, the path of totality was, uh, passed over the very s- southeastern part of the U.S. and then just offshore. Uh, as it came up along the mid-Atlantic states. And so I was in Philadelphia. I was almost six years old. And, um, it was a 95% partial eclipse that year. And I was just, of course, a little kid, but I remember that day so clearly. You know, it's, it's one of the strongest, earliest memories I have of just, of, I remember the daylight getting very strange. Um, I remember making a pinhole camera and watching the various phases of the partial eclipse. Although the main thing I remember is that my grandparents uh, were so afraid I would go blind that they told me not to look at the sun or I would, I would go blind. And I spent the entire day in fear looking at the ground that if somehow some, a few, a few rays of sunlight got to my eye that I would immediately go blind. Um, but anyway, it was, so I remember being a strange and different day, but then it was in 1994, so now um, when I was, well, 94, so I was 30, um, when I was working for NPR and there was a an annular eclipse, which your listeners yes. will remember the annular eclipse last October, uh, where if you're in the path of annularity yep. – the, you actually will see the sun turn into a, a thin ring in the sky. And there was an annular eclipse that was crossing over uh, the U.S. and was going to go over New Hampshire. I was in Boston at the time, and I was—I uh, ended up doing a story for NPR about the coming annular eclipse. And it was in the course of doing that story that I had the pleasure of interviewing the, the great Jay Pasikoff. Uh, ah. And Jay, uh, who you guys know and, uh, and your listeners may, he was uh, – a uh, solar physicist at uh, Williams College in Massachusetts and may well have seen more solar eclipses than just about anyone who has ever lived. Hey. He went to every solar eclipse he could. And I interviewed him for that 1994 annular eclipse. And he you know, he described what was going to happen and how interesting an annular eclipse is and uh, gave me all the sound bites I needed. But it was after the interview was over that he turned to me just one-on-one, and said, you know, as interesting as this annular eclipse is going to be, it is nothing compared with the truly awesome beauty of a total solar eclipse. And he described vividly what happens in a total eclipse and how it's the only time you actually can look at the sun with the naked eye and what happens to the sky and what you see. And he and he said it so vividly um, that he really got my attention. And then And then he said, you know before you die you owe it to yourself to experience a total solar eclipse and he said it with this real passion and sincerity and um it just got to me and and so i thought well i should i should look into this and that was 94 and i discovered that 4 years later a total solar eclipse was going to cross the caribbean and i figured well i'm going to make it make a, an attempt to go we've been accrediting that quote to to Fred, Fred Aspinach, but it was Jay Pascoff. Oh, right. It PCT. was Jay Pascoff. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, Jay,
1: okay. who who died a year and a half ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. is, is it been that we long? Were, we were lucky enough to, uh, I think Letitia's met him several times, but uh, yes. on the annular eclipse of January, the, I'm sorry, June the 10th, 2021, we right. hopped on that flight from Minneapolis. And flew up over Canada and saw the annular of that day. Right. And Jay was on that flight. And think, oh, he yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, but he's such a personable guy.
2: It was one of the pandemic eclipses, so we couldn't actually go into Canada,
0: right, for that eclipse. Right. So we
2: ended up hopping on a plane with Jay and I think Glenn Schneider Naomi. and several other people.
0: Yeah, yeah. and just but going going through the through the annular. Uh, Jay was a real mentor to many people, and he—I think—he saw it as, as his job to um, to really encourage people, you know, as many people as possible to see a total solar eclipse. And and I was really when I saw mine in Aruba in 1998, I I understood what he was talking about, and ever since then I've sort of seen it as my job now to become an evangelist and and spread the word to other people.
1: Yeah, you know there there is a David Barron evangelist out there. Like uh, <laughs> we were, yeah, not not. We you were the Eclipse evangelist. David. Oh, <laughs> but there's a, there's a, like an actual
0: religious evangelist. Oh, I out didn't there realize now. that. Okay. okay,
1: all
0: right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, but I, you had asked me about my first. So this, I'm get, I'm finally getting yeah. around to it. So yeah. it was so 1998, February 26, 1998. The path of totality went over Aruba. And my husband and I had decided that um, that we would go. I mean, why not? It was February. We were living in Boston. Why not go to the Caribbean? And um, it just was everything Jay said it would be, and a million times more. It was it was surreal. I really felt for that three minutes that I had been transported to another planet. It just. Everything was different uh, and it happened so suddenly that I was just plunged into this other uh state of existence and the main thing I mean I'm sure for a lot of crazy eclipse chasers they can talk about their first experience and and I sometimes I wonder because I, I don't know anyone who's seen a total eclipse who hasn't been awed by it, but not everyone becomes an eclipse chaser and I think Part of it may have to do with, with that first experience and what, what happened. And it, that was a magical, a magical eclipse because the main thing I remember, well, a few things. Uh, the, the corona was just, just beautiful. It, it, I remember it being, being sort of like, to me, it looked like a big cotton ball that had been pinched on either side and sort of pulled out. And you could see these various tendrils of you know, these kind of threads coming off. But there were three planets that I clearly saw, wow. and wow. and they were, uh, you know, they were relatively near the sun, and so I could see this line of planets, with the sun right there along the line, and I it I could see that I was looking back toward the center of the solar system. I could see the sun, and I could see the planets, and it, it just looked to me like like a diagram from a high school science textbook like oh here's the solar system and there it was in front of me there's the solar system it was just mind-blowing and um uh and then and then it when it ended it just was suddenly over and i'd been sucked back to real life and i wanted to go visit this magical place again so you asked the
2: question that i asked after my first one when and where's the next one yeah (laughs) Yeah, where's the next one
0: and And the next one was so it was a year later in oh, that's the one that went over Europe in yeah. ninety nine and I went to Munich and got lucky the the skies were half clouds, half sun, and during totality, I had a full view of it um and then um you know chasing eclipses is, is uh expensive it can i mean I do it as frankly I do it as cheaply as I can. I use frequent flyer miles i You know, rent rooms in people's homes. I mean, I I don't go on fancy tours. So it doesn't have to be crazy expensive, but it's not cheap. And it's disruptive. you got to take time off from work. And so I was sort of – I had other priorities. So I I saw the one in 99, and I didn't pick up again until 2012 in Australia. Because at that point in my life, I was getting older. Uh, I was reaching the point – my mother died young. Um, She died at age 48. And um, and I was in my mid-40s. and My own mortality was just really starting to strike me. And I remembered just how powerful, particularly that Aruba experience of the eclipse was. And I really wanted to go see more. And I wanted to make it a priority for as long as I'm going to be here to, if I can, if I can afford it, if it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's not the most important thing in my life. But it's an important thing. I'm going to make it a priority, and so I've tried since then to go to every total eclipse I can.
2: Awesome. Well, you picked a good one in 2012. That was the Great Barrier Reef and Cairns and the Great Barrier Reef.
0: Yeah, and uh, and that one, yeah, there was it was cloudy, but a hole opened up for me (laughs) and the people on my section of beach at the right time. Yeah, and 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 Letitia, you, I think when you were talking to. I think it was to Fred. You talked about how spiky the eclipse was. <laughs> well, that was in the last um, one
2: in, in right Max's mouth, but yeah. that's Pointy. but
0: that's what I thought the one in, in 2012 looked like as well, really? and that also was a solar max, a you know. solar max. Yeah. Okay, because yeah, during solar maximum, you t- they tend to be more spiky and more yeah a lot more these fl- kind of these prominences coming off.
2: I was out on the Great Barrier Reef, and I think for me it didn't get as dark as it normally does. But I think it was because we were farther out in the ocean on a sandy cay. So we got a lot, oh, a lot of reflection. So even if you look at the video I posted, it, it's a very bright eclipse for us. Even though mm-hmm. we get totality, it's still very bright because we're just getting a lot of reflected light from the ocean.
1: Is it, it's, is it more – do you get more brightness on the water?
2: Yes, uh, I do.
1: Even even uh, as compared to being on land just because of the
0: reflection? Is that – That's I, been I, my that experience. Yeah, I've never seen one at, at sea. I've seen several on a beach. Uh, So I don't
1: know. That's interesting because I know that like the one we had in in Australia just recently in 2023, Mm -hmm. given how short it was, it did not get as dark as a longer eclipse just because of the longer totality period, just because of the fact that the shadow is smaller and you're seeing much more of the atmosphere than you would if you had a larger. So I'm looking forward to a very dark
0: one. Letitia, you've seen a lot more than I have yeah. but I've been struck at how it's hard to predict which ones are going to get really dark and which don't yeah. because um 2017 I thought didn't get that dark uh I was on a mountaintop in Wyoming and the sky I I mean it it, the, the the corona didn't really pop against the dark sky the way I've seen before and then in 2019 I was in Chile and it was spectacular it, the sky that uh, was really really looked like twilight and the corona was just glowing against this dark background which I didn't experience in 2017 but I'm hopeful that 2024 because as Chris said uh, because this one's a, a fairly long one and the shadow is fairly wide that that should argue for a darker sky.
2: Should argue, and the corona, but and it will be at solar max. But again, we got a lot of corona in twenty in twenty twenty three because it was such a sh- tight moon. That's over the true sun. too.
0: The moon didn't really cover much of the sun. That's exactly so, yeah, that's true too. A, You're right.
2: It was less than a minute for me.
0: So but, this yeah, I had fifty six seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had fifty eight. <laughs> Yeah you had <laughs> two more than me.
1: <laughs> but it gave great prominences and great chromis, chromosphere was an interesting thing it, it was the most chromosphere that I've seen, and especially right that nice, it.
0: beautiful yeah long, pinkish pink. magenta
1: yeah. rim. yeah, yeah it's, it's one of my favorite parts. I mean, who doesn't like yeah. the corona that yeah. pink hydrogen fuchsia. <laughs> color yeah. is just, just yeah. something it's there's just, nothing like that like beautiful. what in the I'm looking up in the sky and seeing that color uh, that's unique that's That's awesome uh, i just it's awesome. love that uh, so we will we shall see we shall see in yeah in 24 24 like, yeah, minutes and it'll be four and a half minutes in waco i imagine
0: or uh, like four, or four, and, four and a quarter something like that yeah 420 something or
2: hillsborough's like 420 Mm-hmm. So, and you're you're just a minute. You're just a little south and a little bit to the more to the west of center line. So, probably about four fifteen mm-hmm. for you yeah,
0: in Waco. That's right.
2: Um, how did you get invited to do the TED Talk?
0: Well, so um, so this is now the winter of 2017, and I was I had my my book American Eclipse was about to come out, and I I, I was lining up speaking engagements. I've Friends in Seattle who are big TED fans, in fact they they've gone several times to the TED conference, not the mini TED, TED X conferences yeah. around the country. And they were saying, you really should be on the TED stage, and I was thinking, yeah, right. Um and but they really encouraged me to to pitch myself, so I actually pitched myself to the main TED, but that went nowhere. Okay. Um, and then I, uh, but there are, you know a lot of very good local TEDx events, um, and one in Denver called TEDx Mile High um, was just then doing auditions, and so I thought, well. Let me give it a try, and and the timing was perfect because the event was in July of 2017, and of course the total eclipse that year was August 21st. Oh wow! Um, and that was it was a really good experience to work with. I had a wonderful speaker coach, and um, you know they really worked with me and the others in my group on getting our talks just right. And you have to practice the talks, but I. Uh, you know, and this was during the time when I had a book coming out, but it's not a, it's not a book talk. I never even mentioned my book. Because the purpose of the talk for me was to do what Jay Pasikoff did for me, which was to convince people that they must, (laughs) 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 they must make it a priority to go see the total eclipse. And, and I really, I worked really hard on, 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 try honing the message because how do you get it across to people who you know people have got busy lives and you know they're raising kids and they've got a job and the car broke down and um they've got a million things they would rather do than go i mean why go see a total eclipse I, everyone knows what it's like when it gets dark it happens every night um and uh, and if you've seen a partial eclipse it's interesting. How much more interesting could, we, could a total eclipse be, right? So, but as you both know, it's a fundamentally different experience, and that and it and it was Jay's description to me that got me to go see it, and I so I figured, how am I going to convey the magical quality of this experience? And so I, I just I mean, whenever this was, of course, I was working on this for my book as well. So as I said. I saw the eclipse in Aruba in 98, Munich 99, then in Queensland, Australia 2012. I went to the Faroe Islands in 2015. Uh, 15, 15 uh, yeah. Yep, and then Indonesia in 2016. And with each eclipse, I mean, I'm, I'm a writer, so I would be collecting... I would actually, after an eclipse, I, I would write up my descriptions of what it was like. And uh so I, I spent a long time figuring out, how am I going to describe this experience? Because so many people will tell you after they see a total eclipse that it's indescribable and I understand that because it's so unlike anything else that it's really hard to describe but I had to figure out a way to describe it so anyway I in the course of writing the talk i I tried to just to bring it to life and explain why it's so important to me why I chase eclipses and it and it just was really really um heartening and uh, touching some of the emails that I got after the eclipse of 2017 from people who said they went to go see it because of my talk. That's awesome. And they thanked me profusely that because they saw my talk, they drove all night for 14 hours (laughs) to go to Tennessee, and they got stuck in horrible traffic. And you know what? It was worth it. It was so worth it. And they thanked me. And it just so in that way, I really do feel like an evangelist. Yeah, there you
1: are. Well, I want to thank you because oh, well, thank you too. I love that talk. Oh, and I thanks. think Letitia was like, go check this out. And <laughs> <laughs> and after I did, I passed it off to at least 10 of my buddies. Yeah. And oh, that's great. And the confirmation comes from Fred Espinac when he's like, Oh, well, I heard that it was very it, flattering. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. He's, he's like, he's, just, You know, well, how would you help the first timer? He's like, Well, there's a There's a talk online, a TED talk you should go check out. (laughs) It's yours. It's yours. It's like, that's cool. I'd I'd go listen to it, you know, every once in a while just for fun. It's a quick 15 minutes, but it's so eloquent. I'm, I'm glad to hear the way you described preparing for it because it just, it sounds like we've done it a thousand times. That was just so, like every word had been crafted brilliantly. And maybe that's what happens when the inspiration is there. I, well, I, I have no idea. It, it was a uh, it was a work of art right there. I I'm, I'm slobbering, but you know. I, well, that's
0: very <laughs> kind of you. But again, I and and I but um, as I say the the, the biggest compliment is uh, when I get an email from someone saying that I it actually worked. It got someone to go see that's a total eclipse right. and they're really glad glad for it.
1: Talks is brought to you by TexasEclipses.com, where you can get the book, Texas Solar Eclipses. Learn about solar eclipse safety, the total solar eclipse in Texas of 1878, other recent total solar eclipses, how technology influences our experience, and citizen eclipse science then and now. That's TexasEclipses.com. Click the link down below.
2: That is a big compliment when you get somebody to go see it. And they're going, Oh, now I get it. Now I get it. Yeah. Well, I had my brother-in-law who works in Hollywood come to the 2017 with us. And he thought it was just a bunch of hype. Right. Until he saw it. And he was just like, okay, that was more than anything. And he loved it so much. He went down to, uh, down to Chile with us in 2019.
0: Yeah. It's, so- yeah, again, it, for for people who've never seen a total eclipse, it can sound like we're just a little off our rockers. But for me, you know, it's seeing a total eclipse, particularly my first, it's up there with uh, – and up there is the wrong way to put it. Um, it. Eclipses are joyful, but they're more than that. They're meaningful. They're just such a – potent reminder of just the I'm going to sound corny the the miracle of being alive on this planet. Exactly. And it's like watching a child be born or for me, I mean I've had the uh unlucky experience of seeing several loved ones die and but I think it's really important to be there. Yeah. And it just it you're just so in the moment and so reminded of just how precious it is to be alive. And and that's for me what a total eclipse does
2: yeah for me i get that i get that very very strong sense of just be so blessed to be there and just aware of just how much of the universe exists just for us or me to be there in the moment and just i just i get this big sense of gratitude but more than just gratitude from my head but more from my heart
0: Oh, it's a I completely still, visceral experience. It, yeah.
2: It's visceral. It's it's a very visceral experience.
0: Well, and I think when when you were talking to to Alan Aldworth from Perth, the uh, yes, yeah. on your podcast, I think he described it as feeling both really kind of incredibly insignificant and yet kind of just all not all part of everything, long, part of everything, yeah. and. That's the that's how I would describe it too. And you know, there's a lot of research these days into the whole phenomenon of awe, the the experience of awe and how important it is for one's well-being and the and and exactly what awe being in the presence of something much more powerful and larger than yourself, putting yourself in this perspective of how tiny you are, but you're part of something enormous that uh that it's really a very healthy feeling. Uh, and it makes you feel connected to others because it 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 literally well, I mean it, it dissolves the ego is the way it's described. Um you really feel like you're a part of everything else and it's a wonderful feeling. I mean I think for a lot of people it's what they get from religion. And religion, traditional religion is not important to me, but I think for 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 other people that's part of what it is to get from, you know, going to church or synagogue or to the mosque. Uh, for me, it's going to a total eclipse.
2: Yeah. I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on it's, that It's
0: one. funny because
1: uh, people can say, you know, how was the eclipse? You're like, awesome. <laughs> 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 it's awesome. It's just awesome. Cool, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's like, no, true awe. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> uh, love that description of true awe, dissolving the ego. Fantastic. So wow. so you saw the
2: 98, 99, 2012, did you try for the- 2015, 2016. 2016, 2017, when, you, when among those eclipses did you decide to write the American Eclipse book? Or how oh, did you get inspired for that one? <laughs> oh, wow. It's on the first one.
0: Yeah. So, you got the- so 1998, uh, when I went to Aruba- the moment it was over, I thought, I've got to write about this because, you know, I mean, I'm a science writer. And I thought yeah. this – and what struck me actually at that first eclipse, of course it was the eclipse itself, but it was also all these crazy eclipse chasers I met. I <laughs> thought, who knew about this this whole <laughs> subculture of these people who go around the world seeing total eclipses? And I had I, been working in radio for more than a decade then and I was starting to think about writing a book. And I was talking to a literary agent about some ideas I had, and I said, when I got back from Aruba, I said, you know, I'd really like to write a book about something about solar eclipses or eclipse chasers. But then when I thought about it, I realized, well, I'd like to do that, but the time to come out with a book will be 19 years later in 2017, because that's when the next total eclipse will come to the United States. So I put the project on hold. I wrote a different book in the meantime. I continued to work in radio. But I ha- always had in the back of my head. So for 19 years, that come 2017, I want to have a book that will be relevant to the eclipse. Um, and it was in the early – so 2012, I went to uh, to Queensland for the eclipse that year, the total eclipse that year. And I was – that's when I was really starting to get serious about, okay, if I'm going to come out with an eclipse book in 2017, what's it going to be? Is it going to be about eclipse chasers? Is it going to be about the science of eclipses? And for me, I mean, I I write for a general audience, right? I work for NPR. I I always have seen it as my job to take science and make it interesting and understandable to a very broad audience. Um, And I think the best way to to honestly, to teach about about anything, whether it's science or anything else, is to to tell a good story. People learn through stories. People like stories. I prefer books that have stories to books that are just compendiums of facts. Right. So I thought, well, how am I going to tell a good eclipse story? And I started to do some research and it be- very quickly became clear that the best eclipse stories are from the 19th century. Because the 19th century is when Eclipse chasing was a really big deal for science. When um, total eclipses, well, it was when astronomy was getting to the point where astronomers knew how to predict total eclipses, they could map out the path, they were starting to understand and really get a handle on the mechanics of the solar system, and where astrophysics was just getting underway to understand what the heavenly bodies are made of, Uh, and the sun was this huge mystery. Where is all that energy coming from? What fuels the sun? And uh, to f- actually study the sun, one of the best ways to do it is to look at the sun when it's completely covered, <laughs> when the surface is covered mm-hmm. and you can see the atmosphere around it, which is the solar corona. So start, starting in the mid-1800s, whenever a total eclipse was predicted and they knew it would happen and the, the you know it would be mapped out, it was going to cross India or or uh, Australia, or South South America, America. then uh, these grand eclipse expeditions would be put together by various European nations and by the U.S. uh, to go off. I mean, it'd be months of planning and weeks or months of travel for something that was going to last two or three minutes and might be a complete bust if a cloud was in the way but it was so important to these astronomers to take their telescopes and spectroscopes to study the solar corona so I I started looking at the various eclipses from that era Um, and I very quickly came upon the eclipse of 1878 and the main thing that hooked me was this was a total eclipse that crossed the American West the Wild West and Thomas Edison was there a young Thomas Edison went to Wyoming in 1878, right after he inve- invented the phonograph, right before he invented the light bulb, um, and just the whole idea of Thomas Edison in the Wild West for a total solar eclipse—I figured there's got to be something here. And the deeper and deeper I went into researching the the eclipse, the more fascinating it became. And I thought, well, th- this has got to be the basis for my book.
2: And it—that it, was what—that uh, that was such a good story.
1: Well, you're like that you've was... got. You said you'd like to write a story, but there's like ten stories in that book, like like oh,
0: the, the, or more. I mean, right. and I could have had many, many more. <laughs> right. So, aha. Uh-huh. Well, I well was something you're I mean, we
1: going to ask is, you know, tell us about the stories you could. Oh, there. So, told. so
0: 1878. So it was July 29th, 1878, that the path of totality ran right down the spine of the Rockies from Montana Territory down to Texas, and there were eclipse expeditions all along that route. Um, And at the time, so the the U.S. Naval Observatory was sponsoring many of them. Uh, And they put together this enormous volume of reports from the total solar eclipse of 1878. And I have a copy on my shelf that I found on eBay. Uh, But it's like 300, 400 pages, a giant volume. And there are dozens and dozens of scientists who were out there for the eclipse, and I and and there were many who had nothing to do with the Naval Observatory, and I found out about them because they published their own works, their papers or books, or were just in the newspaper. And I made a list of over seventy scientists who were in the American West for the eclipse of eighteen seventy, and I just started wow. to investigate each of them: why, who were they, why did they go for the eclipse, what did they do at the eclipse, did they discover anything interesting, um, and I. Had all these potential characters that I had to whittle down into who who had the best stories to tell, and how would I tell them?
2: Yeah, you just had so many good stories there, from from the guy who was trying to find Vulcan
0: to precisely.
2: Yep, he was trying to find Vulcan, or he thought he had found Vulcan. I'm giving away the book. Sorry. Um, to no, that's all right. To to the the gentleman, I forget his name, but he who had to come down off the mountain because of altitude sickness.
0: Right. So the first person you're talking about is James Craig Watson, who was an astronomer from the University of Michigan, and he was an acclaimed planet hunter. Uh, So back in the 19th century, not that many asteroids had yet been found, and asteroids were generally referred to as minor planets as opposed to the major planets that we tend to think of. And James Craig Watson was very good at finding asteroids, and uh, as you were alluding to, Letitia – There was, uh, it it was widely believed that Mercury was not the closest planet to the sun, that there was another planet, which was a hypothetical planet, but it had a name. It was called Vulcan. Um, And the reason astronomers thought it was there was because Mercury's orbit didn't make sense otherwise. There seemed to be some mass between Mercury and the sun that was tugging at Mercury. Uh, But no one had ever reliably seen Vulcan. Uh, because, well, then that was understandable. If it's that close to the sun, then it's not going to be up in the sky at night and you can't see it because it's going to be lost in, in, in the daylight and the glare of the sun. But maybe if you're lucky during a total eclipse, when the moon covers the sun's surface, you could catch a glimpse of Vulcan and James Craig Watson during the eclipse of 1878, his main goal was to look for Vulcan. Um, the other gentleman you're talking about was Cleveland Abbey who was an astronomer and an early meteorologist. Uh, he helped set up what would become the National Weather Service at the time it was part of the U.S. Army. And uh, in 1878, he went up to the top of Pike's Peak, 14,000 feet up, which was in the path of totality. He had a great story to tell, which was that he, I mean, he just so wanted to see this eclipse. And here he struggles to the top of the mountain. And he got life-threatening altitude sickness. And the night before the eclipse, he had to be carried down halfway down the mountain on a stretcher. <laughs> he ended up watching the eclipse from 10,000 feet on the shoulder of the mountain lying on his back. Um, so they're just wonderful stories. But the honestly, the, the the story that seems to resonate the most with people uh, was an astronomer named Mariah Mitchell, who was by far the most famous female scientist in America in the 19th century. She was a well-regarded astronomer um, who taught at Vassar College, which back then was an all-female college. And uh, she put together an all-female eclipse expedition to Denver in 1878 when (laughs) there were very few female scientists. When there were no female scientists invited on any of the government expeditions, she just decided she was going to do it. And uh, it was, um, you know, they... Did good science like the other scientists. But more importantly, really, it was a political statement about what women could do in science. And there was a lot of attention paid to these these female scientists from Vassar with their in their dresses and with their telescopes out on the plains outside of Denver.
2: Yeah. It was a beautiful story. It was a beautiful story. And the whole thing with her lost telescope, I was just like crying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think we all – those of us who go see – Total eclipses can really relate. <laughs> you're always worried about something going wrong. And uh, yeah, so some of her telescope parts didn't arrive quite yeah. when they were supposed to. I
1: mean, it, yeah. eclipse chasing now is a piece of cake compared to that, oh, those compared times. To that. Oh. I mean, oh, yeah. you zip no, around no, I mean, the world
0: in two weeks come right back and then you're oh, taking months on end. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I mean, as I relate, you know, I have a little bit about other eclipses of that era. There were folks who got shipwrecked on the way to an eclipse in the mm-hmm. Mediterranean. I think that was in 1871. Um, Simon Newcomb, who was a very famous American astronomer in the 1800s for the total eclipse of 1860, I think it was, which was up in northern Canada. He spent two months making his way all the way up to mosquito-infested, swampy northern Manitoba and was clouded out. And then had to oh. make his way all the way back. <laughs> oh,
2: well, I I, I yeah. think you know, in my book, Texas Solar Eclipses, I write about the 1878 expedition here in Fort Worth. And the one thing that just amazed me is that 30% of the book was where are we and what time is it?
0: Exactly. Yeah, pinning down latitude and longitude and time are critical. Yeah, they were critical. And both, both because. That way you would know when the moon's shadow should arrive. But actually, right. in some ways, more importantly, it was a way then to, to correct the tables of the moon's orbit. Because, right. you know, I mean, even in 1878, the, the the path was pinned down pretty well, but it was off by maybe 30 seconds and off by maybe 6 miles. That's not bad. But these days, of course, we have it down to pr- probably the last meter or two and the last second. Yep. Um, so So every time an eclipse came around, it was a chance for the 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 nautical almanac, which was put out every year, which was important for uh, navigation, to which was actually charting the and predicting the orbits of the heavenly bodies. This was a chance to see if the orbit of the moon, as predicted, was actually what happened on eclipse right. day,
2: and make adjustments to the table.
0: Exactly. You know, yeah.
2: Well, one of the things I found fascinating is I realized that high noon, high noon, at least in the American West, was a thing, because. Huh. Basically, the courthouses at noon, high noon, would ring their bells and everybody would set their watch.
0: Right. And this was before we had time zones. T- time zones. zones so, exactly. Right. Time so you had came, local time. Yeah.
2: You had local time. Everything was local time.
0: <laughs> Precisely.
1: Yep. And then the telegraph, you can send that data
0: until you could send that data electronically. Yeah. Right, well, in 1878 you could, but, uh, but still, yeah, it was all very tricky.
2: It's still very tricky, because uh, the expedition in Fort Worth was actually spent two, two or three nights trying to sink the time back with the Naval Observatory, and was blocked by thunderstorms. Oh. <laughs> and because it's, it's July in Texas, Yet at night yeah, right. you get thunderstorms.
1: They've taken your book, American Eclipse, and turned it into a musical. So, yeah, that's wh-
0: not something I ever would have predicted,
1: <laughs> so, how many of the characters in the book made it into the musical and
0: well, yep, so and did you well, have it, any
1: editorial uh you know no I, you i've had
0: I've had no influence whatsoever <laughs> over the artistic direction of the musical, <laughs> although I'm very pleased with how it's how it's gone um it it is so the 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 musical which uh was composed and written by um, Michael John LaCusa, who has made a number of wonderful musicals. He has several Tony nominations, he said. Had things on Broadway, many things off-Broadway. Um, he he took you know my book, while I tried to write it in the style of a novel, it's narrative. It I hope it comes alive on the page. But everything in my book I stand by is 100% true. Michael John LaCusa uh, had the luxury of making things up. So he's taken a true story, which is what often happens when things are turned into movies or musicals. And he's, it's the basis of fact, but he's, he's invented some new characters. He's moved some people around. The sun goes out for
1: 15 minutes.
0: (laughs) Uh, So the main characters in my book are the main characters in the musical. So uh, Thomas Edison, James Craig Watson, and Mariah Mitchell all are in the musical, and they are they they are the the trio at the center of it. Um, uh, he sort of reconceived it. I mean, it's very much about the eclipse. It's about those three folks: Thomas Edison, uh, James Craig Watson, and Mariah Mitchell. They are the main characters in the musical. Um, but uh, uh, and while the the musical, like the book, is about the eclipse, it's about America's coming of age as a scientific nation, um, he's, um, La Cusa has also seen it as really about how America became the country we know today. And in that it is through our diversity that we find our strength. We are of course, a melting pot. Mm-hmm. And, and my book, brings that to life to some extent. I mean, there are Native American characters in the book. I write about early um, uh, Chinese Americans in in the West. I write about uh, uh, some African Americans freed slaves. Um, Unfortunately, they were not main characters. I really wanted to have a more diverse uh, description of the main characters. I just could not find uh, enough historical documentation of how the Native Americans responded to the eclipse, uh, for instance. Uh, but but in the musical, that's really brought out. And so, uh, the the uh, uh, Native American Ute Chief Colero, who does appear in my book briefly a couple of times, uh, he and his uh, a band of the Ute tribe met up with Princeton scientists in Denver in 1878. Uh, in the musical, they are become important characters. Um, there's an uh, African American uh, family made up uh, in the musical who he's placed in Wyoming where Edison was. Um, uh, there are some uh, Chinese-American characters who end up becoming important. And, 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 and so I think that there's a real grain of truth here, which is that this eclipse, like all eclipses, was a chance for many people from many different worlds to come together at one place at at one time to experience this moment together. And that's really brought out in the musical about how these people who at first don't understand each other, may not trust each other, come to work together uh, as the eclipse comes about. And as you might imagine, the climax is totality, the climax of the musical. And it's just wonderful. Have, it, this is a very large cast. It's, um, there are 25 folks in the, in the wow. uh, cast. And when they all sing together at totality and they're all looking up at the corona, I just get goosebumps at that moment in the show, the way I do at an actual eclipse. And I came to realize what a perfect way to convey that sense of oneness that we've all described Right during a total eclipse, about to have all these voices coming together in harmony. Um, I, I actually think a music. I was skeptical at first. In the end, I think a musical was the perfect way That's to awesome. convey that magic of the eclipse. That's awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I haven't well, got
2: tickets for it yet. I didn't see. What well, first to of it. all, I did,
0: well, so I should say it's still a work in progress. The okay. The, the, the full show has not yet been staged for um, it's still a work in progress I saw the first workshop production in New York in the fall of 2022 okay. uh, it has not yet been staged for the public uh, however in Waco the weekend before the eclipse in April 2024 there will be the first public performance of some of the music from the show okay. so on April 7th at Baylor University, uh, at the moment, the plan is there will be two performances of uh, music from the show combined with a little bit of dialogue between me and the composer. Um, the idea is I might read a short passage from the book, and then the composer will talk about how he musicalized it, and then we'll hear the music. Cool. So, And the tickets have not, at this moment, gone on sale, but they should very soon. And That's I'll let the you night know. before the eclipse. Well, it'll <laughs> be the day and the night, yeah. So yeah, the, the plan is, night. I think— I think 11.30 in the morning and 7.30 in the evening uh, in Waco uh, will be the first public performances of, of the music from the Eclipse. And I'm quite – I don't know the, exactly which songs will be sung, but I'm 99% sure that this—that the Eclipse, uh, song. The eclipse at, at totality will be among the songs, yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Well, congratulations. I mean, I just think that's awesome. And like you said oh, – the goal here is to get other people to experience it too and like you said if the if the musical gets some people to go see it that's even better yeah i'm because i'm trying to convince other people to be as crazy as i am
0: well i mean it's you don't know, you know one can travel to the other side of the world the to world. see a total eclipse but for americans this is this is their best chance in a chance. long time i mean if you're in the continental lower 48 this is your last chance until twenty forty four. Twenty forty. 2040 so, well, twenty forty four. Well, twenty forty four. There'll be a one in the upper Midwest, but then you got to wait till twenty forty five for one for significant vehicle. one to go across yeah. the country. So that's what's
1: so fun is trying to explain to people. It's like, well, you're like, uh, oh, I'd have to drive a hundred miles to get into the path. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. That's nothing. It's like, that's nothing. I, I, that I means it's in, it's in your backyard. It's in your backyard. Yeah,
1: that is your backyard. yeah.
2: I, I mean, I have people. I'm just, I'm just trying to convince my office not to be on calls between one thirty and two. I go outside. Jeez. I'm just, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, no, you got to be off the
1: phone. I had jury duty last summer, and I had my stickers, my trusty little save the date, April the eighth, twenty twenty four stickers with me, and I gave them out to all the people in the jury, and the bailiff, and the judge. We had our post. Uh, post-trial briefing, debriefing, and I was like, I told the judge, all right, make sure that the court is adjourned between <laughs> 12 o'clock, eh, you know, one, 12.30 Three. and 2 o'clock on April the 8th. Like, okay, all right, I'll put it on my, put oh, this good on my refrigerator. Yeah, good for you.
0: <laughs> I think we all, we have to recognize, of course, where other people are coming from, which is, first of all, when you first start talking about this, it takes a while before they realize that we're serious and uh-huh. and that they should listen. But also, it still seems so far in the distance. I mean, even now, I mean, we're talking it's it's uh, it's less than ninety days. It's less which than ninety to days. To us, sounds like it's around the corner. To yeah. a lot of people, it's like, what are you talking about? It's a couple months away. But <laughs> uh, and then they start looking for lodging and they realize that they're late. Yeah,
1: try yeah. so booking it. Yeah, it yeah. takes two or three years in advance in some small, tiny little place, um, there are plenty of places here. You know, you're all the way up the I-35 corridor. It's city and, after and city I suspect, after city. And I
0: suspect that, I mean, I, I would encourage your listeners not to wait. And anyone no. should be on this immediately. But don't give up because places have a way of opening up at the last minute as well. But also, you know, people end up opening up their homes. I mean, I've had that experience several times. I I mean, it's easier now with Airbnb um, that people can just go (laughs) online and open their homes. But there are other ways people open their homes. When I went to the Faroe Islands, there there was a family that uh, was through a local travel agency I found. They just decided they kicked their – you know, teenage son out of his bedroom. he slept on the couch. I slept in I had the room with the Star Wars posters on the walls. Um That's you know good. I paid a couple hundred dollars to stay there for a few nights. um and then, you know, when I was in Australia, I found a room in a local home, um particularly when the hotels start price gouging, yeah, um then if you know, some family has an extra space or an in-law apartment or something, and they'd say, well, for a couple hundred dollars, I'll let people stay there. Um, places have a way of opening up. A
2: lot of people are, are getting the calls right now. I went to the Fort Worth Astronomy Society. I gave a talk there last night, and they were telling me that, yeah, they're getting calls all the time now about, hey, we're coming down. <laughs> Can we stay with you?
0: Right, and then, of course, there's camping. People will yeah. camp or you know drive in with yeah. a, a camper van.
2: I've got 10 hotel rooms reserved for my friends and family right now.
0: Oh, wow. That's good.
2: Yeah. And I've got right
0: friends that like are just cool. like,
1: yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll just, I got 50 friends that are 50 acquaintances. You're like, oh, we'll just, wherever you're doing, we're doing that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, fan then fan I have I have a friend who was saying who's going to be in Dallas. She said, oh, why don't I come over to Waco to be with you on the eclipse day? I said, you're in Dallas. Why don't you just stay there? You're going to be dealing with insane traffic, you know, and I don't know where I'm going to be. I mean, I, we may just be outside the hotel, but if the weather's not good, we might head somewhere else. So, um, it gets complicated. That's that's a problem
1: that traveled of that day and I don't want to have to deal with it until then, but you know, there's a potential that if we are so clouded out, like not, you know, I'd hate to go down that road, but, um, you know, a not a, a fully refundable ticket to Indianapolis or Buffalo might be sitting in my back pocket. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? sure. And it's like, sorry guys, I love you. You're going to enjoy <laughs> the darkness.
2: <laughs> well, I noticed. Mon- I think it was is it was Monterey? I think Monterey was still available. I was looking at it the other day. Fully refundable. Mo- no, it wasn't Montcelon. It was. It's in Mexico. It's. It's. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, not not no. It's Monterey. Was it
1: Montcelon? No, it
2: wasn't Montcelon. It's like the middle of Mexico. It wasn't on the coast. There's the town that's yeah, on the coast? Yeah, uh,
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Let's look yeah,
2: Mazelon sold out. Mazelon sold out. The only way yeah. you get there now is with a chartered jet, and then you probably mm. have to book. Make sure you get a and slot on the from air traffic control.
1: And that's just to fly up, see it, and then come back. Yeah. Right. That's not a right. You're not landing or anything. I know like Terrell
2: and some of the smaller airports in the center line in East Texas are starting to line up people that are going to fly in, see it and then fly Hmm. back out or Hmm. have the option to do that depending on the weather.
0: Yeah. I I always prefer to get there a few days early, leave a day late. Um, I mean, part of it for me too is, well, I like to travel. I like to see the place I'm going to. Also, I want the eclipse to be as low stress as possible, I don't, do not want to be running around on Eclipse Day dealing with traffic. I want so I, I like to want to be sleeping in the path of totality. So all I have to do is roll out of bed, and at least I'm in the path. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, and I like to arrive several days early because I, God forbid that they don't have my rental car for me, yeah. or that I get to the hotel and there's a problem. I want to be there early, and so that everything's deal with things. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's a piece that comes with being in the path
0: yeah, yes exactly
1: like it's like when you're in it it's like okay if anything else happens I'm still in the path that's, that's so why. I'll that's try why to, get it made to the that, center line but we're there we're in it
2: La Serena was one of the low stress ones for me because i had found an Airbnb in the path six feet uh, sorry six stories up right over the ocean I got a beautiful view of it and we didn't move. We considered going in inland because of the clouds. But I just got this beautiful view. We just didn't move. It was one of the most low-stress eclipses I've ever been on.
0: Were we in this? Well, I was right near you. I wonder if we were you in that. Well, <laughs> there were those really tall white condo buildings yeah. on the beach. Oh, yeah, I was a there, too. The
2: you, I had the view of the, the steeple in front of me. There was like a church in oh, front of us.
0: Okay, no, I was in a different spot. This was on the just on the north side of town. There were these high, I think, four high-rise, like 13-story yeah condo buildings I was in one I was
2: in one of those, but there was a church right in front of me. my my yeah. pictures all have this little church in front of me and then the beach.
1: Hmm.
2: and so, yeah, I was there, yeah, I had a nice condo there, three bedroom. um one person didn't come with me, so I ended up just renting out that other room for almost half of what I paid for the room. so it was it it worked out real well. It worked out real well. If I was a tour guide, I probably could have sold it for more, but I'm an eclipse chaser. I just want somebody exactly, to use no, it. That's,
0: yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I just want yeah, to, I mean, the, there, there, there is the, the downside, which is the greed that can yeah. cut, that can sometimes take people over, and uh, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, sometimes, you know, folks start seeing, you know, um, I when I was going to the Faroe Islands, I first. Booking was through Airbnb, and I got canceled out from under because the guy wanted more money, and it violated Airbnb's policies. But there was nothing I could do. Yeah, and um, so, but I think good for you, Letitia. It's really not about trying. I mean, Uh, make a few extra dollars on one day. It's just not worth it. It's It's really about.
2: It's not worth it. I mean, I think it's much
0: nicer on Eclipse Day to to be generous. Uh, I try to yeah. bring extra eclipse glasses just I to ha- hand out to people. And, I always uh, do. I yeah. always do. Yeah. Yeah. I always do. I like watching the eclipses. The
1: last thing I want to do is be struck by lightning because bad uh, <laughs> <laughs> karma.
0: Yeah. Bad karma. Oh,
1: yeah, you're you know? asking for it. It's like face value or less. Give some, yeah. Cut somebody a deal. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you go over I, it, you're going to get struck I by get, lightning. I
2: give away easily. so many glasses. I am trying to sell some this time, but man, I had more, more fun giving them away. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah and then you meet yeah. somebody and you get to chat them up and yeah that's the here, mm-hmm. here, here, The here. great thing is the you know the people and we can get all caught up and you know i get caught up in imaging and how much how long does that exposure have to be and make sure the script's all perfect and but then it comes down to it, it you, you end up the people and the experience and the connected the connectedness is really the, the best part about the whole thing
0: <laughs> exactly exactly
1: You were talking about, you know, having all the different cultures in the musical coming together. Do they bring about anything about um, the God fearing and the folks that don't believe in God? And because I know from your TED talk, you were like, I know, I don't believe in God, but uh, but you know, when I look at total solar eclipse, if there is a God, that's the eye of God right there, and he's oh yeah, I know, you know, so. I'm just curious if they brought that into the musical at all or if they kept it just um, above the...
0: Yeah, that's not... Uh, that doesn't come up in the world. musical, but... Yeah. yeah, it's... I mean... Yeah, and in my in my TED Talk, I do bring up that... I, yeah. And when I say I don't believe in God, I, I don't really classify myself, myself as an atheist because that yeah. makes it sound like I'm anti-something. Yeah. I'm not. Well, like agnostic,
1: uh, maybe? Or it's, it yeah,
0: you're... it's that... And, and I guess it. I, really what I should say is I, I don't believe in... Uh, in a man with a white beard on the clown sitting there in the cloud. Yeah. right um <laughs> but but really you know what what a total eclipse conveys to me just so clearly is that i am a tiny speck among forces that i can't even begin to understand and so so maybe that maybe i do believe in god but it's not not the god that I, I thought existed when I was when I was a little kid. Um, But um, but actually, I would say because of, as we were discussing earlier, the feelings of awe and I dare say reverence that a a total eclipse brings out in me, I get it for someone who has that feeling going to church. Um, I'm not dissing that at all. Um, I think I respect that. And I I say in my TED talk, I kind of. Wish I wish did believe in God. I mean, um, but the scientist part of me, um, doesn't believe in a traditional Judeo Christian God. Yeah. No.
2: So you're a hardcore eclipse chaser, so I know you're already doing this. What are you doing for 26 and 27?
0: Well, I don't know yet. Uh, so, um, so I will sometimes I've been invited to, to be a speaker on eclipse tours. Nice. Although, um, uh, I as you know Letitia, because we saw each other in Argentina in uh 2021. One, Do I have yeah. that right? twenty twenty-one. One. Yeah, right?
2: for the disappointing. I was Antarctica. To be, yeah.
0: Yeah, well I, uh, unfortunately my cruise was cancelled. This was during the COVID oh, era, but I had been invited you on the, uh, the Nat Geo on a, cruise or which no, I I rather <laughs> not say which Oh we okay.
1: we won't say which, yeah.
0: Um but uh, so unfortunately, of course, even if I'd gone, I probably wouldn't have actually seen the total eclipse, but it was nice to be invited. So I'm still hoping I might be invited on a cruise to, say, Greenland in 2026, Ooh. but nothing is certain. If that doesn't happen, uh, I will probably go to northwest Spain because, again, there's the uh, part of me is where can I go where I will see it. But that's relatively easy to get to and not a fortune uh, to pay. And so if I go on my own, I think it might be to Spain. 2027, I am hoping maybe to go on – be invited to go on an eclipse tour to to North Africa. I should say 2028, uh, which will pass over Australia. again. The path of totality, you may have noticed, goes right over uh, Sydney. And in fact, the Sydney Opera House is almost dead center on the center line. And my great hope is that American Eclipse, the musical (gasps) – We'll play in Sydney. That would be so (laughs) awesome. Oh,
2: that would be so awesome. That's much what I so
0: wish. Oh, it would be so so great.
2: (laughs) Well, if it does, I will get there. If it does, I will get there. I'm actually planning for 2028. I'm planning, I got really jealous of all the posts of everybody doing the caravans through Western Australia. So for 2028, I'm planning to go ahead and try to take a month off and do the caravan. So if your play's there. we in to go Sydney, into the
0: outback somewhere.
2: Yeah. But if you but if your play's playing, I'll drive the caravan into Sydney.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: That place is fantastic.
2: It is. It is. The and Sydney they got opera they got the, the opera more. house, yeah. 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 Wow. The opera house is awesome.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah I saw Did you do 20... the tour?
1: Yeah, I guess you've done the tour before. Both of y'all have done the the uh, of opera the Opera House? Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't, do it, I didn't
2: do it in two, 2002, and I didn't get back to it to 2012, so I'll probably try to do it this time.
1: Yeah. It's, it's still, still the same story. It hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: But to see the American Eclipse there would be just so great.
0: Well, again, I'm telling you my dream. This is I, I have no control over this, and I yeah. have no idea if it's... But it doesn't well, seem right. like it's impossible.
1: It's not I think it's possible. By then, they'll have their chops down. Their chops down. They'll, you yeah, know, they. I should hope they'll so. have yeah, performed right. it many times. And
2: well, they they should also want to do it because it's going to be four eclipses in the next how many years now? Fourteen years. Four more eclipses mm. in the next in fourteen Australia. years yeah, in a whole Australia. Bunch. Yeah, they're just lining up there.
0: Yeah, that's the place we should. I think we should all just buy condos there I'm and move there it. until. Uh, this state of eclipses has passed.
2: <laughs> Peter, trying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm actually
0: putting feelers out for a job.
2: <laughs> okay, so 2028, <laughs> I need to be working in Australia somehow, some way. Oh, what else do we want to ask you about?
1: Well, so, um, do you have any other books or uh, ideas on tap, um, in addition to the revision of the 2020? The American Eclipse book. Do you have any uh, new books coming? Uh, out?
0: I I do actually. I just just finishing up the manuscript of my next book, which won't be out till sometime in twenty twenty five. But uh, this is a book about Mars and about Martians. Uh, so to explain, so American Eclipse, I really enjoyed writing about the history of astronomy, and uh, as we've discussed, it's. It's a true story, but it's got great characters. It's about a really interesting era, and it tells a story. And so my next book about Mars, similarly, is a book about the history of astronomy, but it's for a general audience, and it's set a little later than the American American Eclipse, the book. But at the turn of the 20th century, from the 1890s until about 1909, was a period that's often referred to as the Mars craze, when... The public got really excited about the planet Mars and the supposed existence of the civilization there. And when we talk about Martians today and we think they're all from science fiction, back in that era, there were serious scientists who really believed that there was an advanced civilization on Mars, that the Martians had, in fact, were more advanced than we were. Uh, Nikola Tesla, the inventor, um thought he was getting in radio contact with the Martians. Alexander Graham Bell was talking about, you know, there was no question that there was this civilization on Mars. You could read in the New York Times in 1907 uh, articles all about the civilization. There we had um uh, theologians talking about the religious implications of the Martians. So uh, this book is like American Eclipse, has a number of main characters, the primary one being Percival Lowell, who was an American astronomer, founder of the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, who um, was the greatest proponent of the Martian theory. He and others were seeing these lines on Mars that they thought were canals, canals. irrigation canals, that the Martians were using to grow their crops on a desert planet. And, uh, and this was an idea, idea that really took off. I... I had always known vaguely about this whole notion of the canals on Mars, but I had no idea just how influential um, uh, that notion was and how seriously it was taken. So that's what my next book is about. And my argument is that, uh, first of all, it's a story that will resonate with today because there's a lot of excitement about Mars today with NASA's Artemis mission to the moon, which is to get us to Mars. Right. Um, Of course, you have... Uh, multi-billionaires rumors. who also want to get us to Mars. Um, but it really was this Mars era, the Mars craze, that got the world excited about outer space and inspired the people who would become the designers of rockets and the early planetary scientists and who would get us off this planet, at least robotically, and uh, to explore the solar system.
2: Yep, Because a lot of the science fiction came out in the 20s and the 30s was based on that Martian craze back in those two decades.
0: Exactly, and and right, HG Wells's The War of the Worlds came out in 1898, and that was right in the middle of all this. Right. Yeah, and we're back. We
1: we're we're back to it again. We're back, you know. To hey, it. did we have lot? Li- you know, was there? there oh know, yeah, there, mean, there was water, and was there an ancient civilization way back when? And did we come from? You know. Well, I was their life think, there first exactly
0: yeah. I mean NASA is seriously looking for life they're yeah. not looking for an ancient civilization yeah but they are looking for life seriously and for life. Uh, yeah. yeah and um and of course there's serious talk of people going there I mean I hope in my lifetime I will see uh human footprints on Mars
2: I would love that I would love that
1: I'm hoping we um, drill a hole into Enceladus and stick a probe down in there that's fine. See, see what's down there, in, there. in the Let's water down yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> don't know how the hell you do that but
2: well yeah. i am looking forward to that book i'm i'm because oh, yeah. of all the research that you did and the stories that you told in the great american Eclipse, If i'm looking forward to seeing that that level of detail that you in stories that you do for the martian
0: the martian craze well, thanks. It's been it's been a lot of fun to write, but it's taken me six years, and it's been a lot of work uh, because, you know, I had uh, even more characters in this book than in American Eclipse, and, and you know, in American Eclipse, I was really, the, the time frame of that book, it opens in 1876, pretty much ends in 1882. It's a four-year time span, but it's all set around one date, July 29th of 1878. This Mars book also opens in 1876, but ends in 1916. It's a 40-year span wow. that I'm writing about. So it was uh, a lot of research, but I enjoyed doing it. Awesome.
2: Awesome, awesome,
1: awesome. Well, you do the heavy lifting. And yes. Describe, you know, what what Kate Russo describes as ineff. She uses the word ineffable, which is, ah. you know, word to describe what can't be described by words. <laughs> and... Well, that, I find that a, that's,
0: a, that's a fun challenge. That's that's yeah. that's what gets me going is trying to figure out how to how to describe something that, and also or to tell a story that on the surface might might not sound interesting, but to make it interesting, yeah. to find the interesting in it. Well,
2: and then we were going to ask, how are we you, doing here? We would I mean, one more we question a right really now. Really great
1: conversation.
2: Yeah, uh, Chris, you had one about the, the Einstein question.
1: Well, I was just curious. Um, you know, you just said you know you, you did your 1878, but it was a small. You know, it ended in 1882. There was a little bit of mention of the 1919 total solar eclipse and the Einstein's theory of general relativity. I believe it is that was not disproven when they showed it was the, proven. Yeah, not disproven and in favor of <laughs> when they showed that the, the star moved. I was just curious if you had any any stories to tell from that particular. Uh, eclipse.
0: Well, no stories to tell, but you're describing exactly right. That, I mean, I felt the need to explain. So during the, in the course of my book, I talk about the planet Vulcan and the rational reasons why astronomers thought it was there, and they just couldn't find it, and they just couldn't find it. And it's interesting that it was, a, in essence, a total solar eclipse that then explained why there wasn't a Vulcan and why there couldn't be a Vulcan. The whole, as I said earlier, the whole reason astronomers came up with the planet Vulcan is because Mercury's orbit didn't make sense otherwise. But to complete that sentence is it didn't make sense otherwise via Newtonian mechanics. So Isaac Newton's theory of gravity, if you do the math, Mercury's orbit was off a little bit, and that's why they had to invent a planet. But Albert Einstein, his general theory of relativity Showed that gravity itself is a is a warping of the whole space time continuum, and the math works out differently. And his math showed that in fact it explained Mercury's orbit. And the reason Mercury's orbit is off and the other planets aren't is Mercury is so close to this massive object that is the sun that general relativity starts coming into play and Newtonian mechanics breaks down. And uh, and so Einstein in. Theoretically explained Mercury's orbit uh, in his theory, but it was the it was the confirmation of that the experimental confirmation at the eclipse in 1919 when there is, were astronomers off the coast of Africa and in Brazil at two ends of the path of totality, taking photographs of the stars that could be seen behind you know just around the sun during totality, and again. Because general relativity says that the starlight should bend in a way different from the way Newton's laws did, and the and the photographs seem to confirm Einstein's theory. So there, so suddenly, not only uh, did not did Vulcan not exist, but Vulcan could not exist could not, if yeah. Einstein was right.
1: Well, they should have figured that out sooner. Um, they had equipment confiscated that was not allowed to leave Russia or something. and, and I
0: think it was – geez, I have to look back. I think it was – oh, maybe it was 1916. I, but it was – but David, David Todd, who was the um, – who, who was a big eclipse chaser of his time. He was an astronomer at Amherst College in Amherst, Massachusetts. He and his wife, Mabel, who chased eclipses together, they tried to go see that eclipse, I think, around the Black Sea. And I guess it would have been 1914 because that was the outbreak of World War One. Yeah. And they uh, they were on their way there, and they got stuck in Russia um, when World War One broke out. And then they, they didn't get to see the eclipse, and they had trouble getting their equipment out. That's right.
1: Geopolitics. Messing. with. <laughs> right.
0: So it's Dennis. nice we don't have to cross borders, except going into <laughs> the Republic on. of Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> yeah, we'll the get,
2: Republic we'll... of Texas. <laughs> That's a good way to phrase it. Well, I'm going to say goodbye to David.
1: Thank you so much, David Barron. That's it for this episode of Totality Talks. We apologize for the abrupt ending, but we got into some topics that could not be salvaged in post. So thanks to David Barron for his keen insight and unique perspective into the world of eclipse chasing. In our next episode, well, it's going to be a surprise, as we have chats lined up with three more Eclipse All Stars. So, as always, clear skies.